Hi. Just to open this up with a warning, if you're new to this podcast, please be advised that this is a book discussion, not a review. We will talk about the plot and we will speculate. There will be spoilers and we are not any kind of authority. If you haven't read Gideon the Ninth, I recommend you stop this pod, go buy Gideon the Ninth, and then come back after you've read it. Welcome to Read This Fucking Book, Episode 26, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsin Muir. I'm Rachel. I'm Elena. Hi, Elena. Hi, Rachel. So before we start, uh, we usually have a little bit of discussion. Is there anything that you want to talk about uh, since we read Warbreaker? Um, I have not managed to read any other books besides Gideon since we read Warbreaker, but I read this one really super fast because I was into it. So that's my book news. Nice to hear. Good, good. Always (laughs) like it when my recommendations are well received. Uh, What about you? Do you have any, uh, any book news or... Well, to share? you know, I've been pretty busy reading through all the Robin Hobb books for Buckkeep Radio. So that's that's definitely keeping me busy. Um, I am also possibly reading the arc for Harrow the Ninth <laughs> right now. Yeah. Um, and you might also have possibly done some Gideon cosplay. For I New did. York yes. At Comic-Con uh, 2019, New York Comic-Con, I uh, cosplayed Gideon uh, and our, our friend Alyssa was Harrow. It was really fun. Uh, when people recognized us, they got really excited just because the book is so new. Uh, and it was just super fun just being a, you know, a corpse painted jerk <laughs> <laughs> with a sword. It was, yeah, I, yeah. Well, I, I have to say, I look forward to, uh, to joining into the yes. cos- that cosplay with you because the, this cover and then the cover that they just revealed for the book too, is just, it's, it's crack. It's just like costume crack. Yeah. Like, it's so good. It's so fun. Yes. <laughs> I definitely want to keep cosplaying it just cause it's also comfortable in. Yeah. It's good. So look forward to that. Uh, so yeah, so uh, I recommended Gideon the Ninth uh, because as a response to Warbreaker, because we were talking about skeleton armies and people with magical powers, and I thought, you know what, it's coming out. It's going to be spooky season, and that's my that's my in to to get you to read all about this book about necromancers. Yeah, well, it was a, it was a pretty fantastic follow up because there's also themes of you know what happens when you actually meet god and you know what living essentially forever does to a human and whether you can still maintain your perspective on humanity and and the nuances of human life so it was in a really weird way a great follow-up um and sometimes you just gotta take something cool and weird and new and shove it in (laughs) make it work (laughs) yep that 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 too um so I guess before we go any further, I should uh, talk about what this book is about, right? Well, I want to do an intro because there's a catechism that the that the um, the ninth house always says before anything important. Oh, okay. So it says, I pray the tomb is shut forever. I pray the rock is never rolled away. I pray that which was buried remains buried, insensate, in perpetual rest, with closed eye and stilled brain. I pray it lives. I pray it sleeps. I pray for the needs of the emperor all, giving... The undying king, his virtues, and his men. I pray for the second house, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, seventh, and eighth. I pray for the ninth house, and I pray for it to be fruitful. 
I pray for the soldiers and adepts far from home, and all those parts of the empire that live in unrest and disquiet. Let it be so. So we are reading Gideon the Ninth, which is book one of the Locked Tomb Trilogy by Tamsin Muir. This was published in 2019, just very recently last month, uh, by Macmillan Tor, to rather rave reviews. Uh, and this is uh, Tamsin's debut full-length novel, which is just, you know, Crazy. great. <laughs> How dare you be so good? Uh, uh, Tamsin is uh, from New Zealand, and I think that that kind of comes out a lot in the humor in this book. It's got that kind of deadpan, off-kilter, very of-the-moment humor right now that reminds me of, of uh, you know, what we do in the shadows and you know, Flight of the Concords. Uh, and Harrow the Ninth will be out in June 2020. It's been announced as the sequel. So, Elena, what is this book about? Yeah, so uh, this book is about Gideon, who is sort of almost, I guess, a, a serf would be the, the right word um, for the ninth house the this is sort of science fiction but it plays out more like fantasy because people are on different planets and they travel between planets but the actual societies are very fantasy oriented with like necromancy and what appears to be magic and so the ninth house is a, basically a dying house there's gideon and one other person under the age of 20 in the entire place and that's harrow the daughter of the house and basically gideon is trying to escape and harrow thwarts it because she has a counter proposal basically i'll give you your freedom from my house if you first accompany me to the planet of the the first house which is the the emperor so no one really lives there uh, so that i can become a lictor which is one of like the emperor's right hands basically and if you do that for me, then I'll give you your freedom. And so they travel to the House of the First, which is, again, another planet, and meet the other, like, houses, representatives, their scions, their their heirs, uh, I guess is the word, and then the cavaliers who came with them. And so it's a bunch of necromancers and cavaliers in a house with essentially house. a mystery of how to... It, of how do we become <laughs> lictors and there's no rules and there's no instructions and um there's just lots of politicking and personality clashes and then someone dies and it goes to shit from there yeah my my short pitch is that it's like gormenghast and clue and chronicles of riddick all stuck in you know in one super snarky genre like book because it's yeah I think that's the thing that makes it unique is the the fact that it merges these kind of like that that sort of like science fiction uh tradition of of like the I guess it's like a bottle story where they're stuck inside the these gigantic uh houses that are like mm -hmm. you know it's like it's very much Gormenghast where you have this cast of like just kooky characters who never leave this one spot but right. what elevates it and makes it so very now is the kind of internet speak of the main character. And it's not over, it's so well done. You'd think that it would get tedious and like not funny after a while, but it's just, 
it, it will it, it's going to end up being like a timeless rendition of that kind of like easy easy to read like snarky meme speak because mm-hmm. it's not super meme it's not going to like date itself but it yeah. does have that ease of read where it's just like that constant commentary that from yes. Gideon and it's super consistent, which also helps because if, if it's something that like a, a writer's falling in and out of, then it can, you know, be very jarring or sound um, more like they're just trying to insert that to to be funny or to be hip or current versus that simply being the voice of the character and the voice of the book. So yeah. she maintains it very well, which sort of sells it as like, no, that's just how this book is written. That's just how this character sounds. Yeah, I think like I think in the end you just kind of assume that Tamsin Muir is just really funny herself, <laughs> you know, and it's just coming out in this book. Especially, I mean, everyone's funny. Like I, I, Gideon is, of course, our main character, and we we're getting the story through her eyes, and she's hilarious in a very deadpan, like observational kind of way. But everyone else is just as witty as her. Yes. And there's also just a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of situational humor too, where it's just, you're kind of watching this play out almost cinematically, like through Gideon's eyes or, or maybe a little bit over her shoulder, because as a reader, you can, you can separate yourself from Gideon as a character and sort of imagine what this is actually looking like, you know, to sort of be a, a, an observer to the scene and the scenes themselves are also simply absurd and ridiculous. Uh, well, yeah, like... because you're in this like decrepit far flung future of like this empire and it's an empire that we don't really understand, right? Like we mm-hmm. know that they are spacefaring and we know that the different houses are in different planets and, or sometimes different asteroids or sometimes different space stations, but we're not quite sure how far flung it all is. Right. And so it's it's that like you're just taking for granted that it's in the future, which is why I think to me it skews more fantasy because it's got that like sci-fi fantasy, like that old fashioned like from the 70s and 80s kind of mm-hmm. that feel, you know, where it's like, oh, there's there's technology. but We're not going to explain how it works because that's not the point. Yeah, the technology is indistinguishable from magic, so we're just going to act like it's magic. Right, and then we're just going to go all that way. Right, and then they're necromancers, which is obviously magic. So. Right. Um, yeah. I did make a list of some of my favorite tropes, and I say tropes with love. These are things that I like to read about. Uh, so I have childhood enemies uh, become friends or lovers. Uh, depends on your read. Uh, the jock and the mean girl. Uh, nerds figuring stuff out. stuck in a murder house tragic origin stories and special destinies girls with swords uh i made one up called super cool has muscles oh no (laughs) (laughs) um all this technology is old and dead and i hate you i would die for you yeah that's a that's pretty solid list I think, I mean, it's so great that they, that Harrow and Gideon are this kind of enemies because it's like they are inexplicably and you find out, you know, midway through the story why, but at the beginning it's kind of inexplicable why they're the only two people of age in this dying house Mm -hmm. Uh, and that they're not friends, right? They just, they're just not, they're just opposites. Gideon just wants to get out. She wants to have this grand future and Harrow 
you know, she's going to lead the house and she has all of these duties and responsibilities and, and like religious responsibilities that mm-hmm. are on her. Well, one thing that I really appreciated about their dynamic and, and it, this is something that I've seen a couple times in books, like it comes up in Ender's Game, but that's the, that, that one is the really prominent example is the depiction of, of characters who are essentially siblings. Because, I mean, when you're the only two people of any kind of childhood age in a place, like you're essentially siblings, at least in, in terms of how you relate to one another. And siblings as that having that sort of really deep love-hate relationship where like maybe underneath it all you really love each other, but in terms of how you interact and how those interactions play out, it's mostly just the hate side. And that's rarely shown. And I don't know whether that's rarely shown because it's not a common family dynamic. And if you experienced that, you know, you're one of the unfortunate few, or if it's something where people try and romanticize it later, or like once you actually grow out of that aspect of childhood and kind of make up with your siblings and have adult relationships, you don't want to remember it that way. You know, I'm not, I'm really not sure which way it is for most people, but certainly I remember like reading Ender's Game and, and relating to that side of things uh, because it was like, oh, this is what childhood is actually like. And so this is a book that kind of showed that um, and also the transition out of it. But it that's how you started. And to me, it just made a lot of sense. It was like, yeah, that's, you know, that's how you do when there's no one else to pick on or fight with or get attention from or have any sort of relating with. Mm. It's funny that you say that because I related to both of to both Gideon and Harrow as an only child. Because... <laughs> I was like, oh, well, they're the two kinds of only children. Like, there's the the one that's just kind of like, I don't give a shit what anyone else thinks. I'm going to do what I do. I've got my plan. I don't need anyone. And then there's the other one who's just kind of like awkward. And and, and Harrow is so awkward. Like, she just doesn't know how to, how to be around other people because she's all of her all of her relationships are so structured and so formal and and mm-hmm. so scripted in a way because she's like the head not only the head of her house but the head of her of their religion of their cult and so and they're all old anyway right like the only people who are even marginally her age are Gideon who's a year older and then um her cavalier and he was like 35 to her yeah being he's less in his 20. 30s yeah. yeah, so he not really doesn't have like he doesn't have much to like in common with her uh age wise anyway. And it's just like she I get I like felt that sometimes too cuz it's like she when she, they finally go to Canaan house and Gideon's just kind of like wandering around saying hi to people or well she was she's <laughs> at first she's under a vow of silence, but she's still communicating with people, right? Mm-hmm. Like she's still kind of like giving people facial expressions and just like she is like part of these conversations in a way whereas mm-hmm. Harrow just disappears. <laughs> she just hides. <laughs> like, yeah, Harrow literally has no time for that shit. And Gideon's in in, in the uh, part of the crew that's like, we're here to socialize first and solve the mystery second. Yeah, or well, I think Gideon's not looking. Gideon's looking to belong, whereas mm-hmm. Harrow isn't. And you know, there's like stereotypes about how only children are socially awkward or inept. Um, because they don't get to practice how to do that. So they're either too desperate or too aloof. Mm-hmm. So they, I think they kind of, 
occupy those spaces a little bit without it being stereotypical. Yeah, I would I would agree with that too cuz they they are kind of they are very polar opposites in what they're looking for socially. Like Harrow really just doesn't give a shit about other people are forming relationships unless they are of use to her. And right. Gideon is like, I just want someone to be my friend. I just want somewhere to fucking belong. Like, right. And also, <laughs> I don't want to be here. <laughs> like, <laughs> whereas Harold's like, I'm only here because I want to be a lictor and I don't care what we're here. You know, I don't care what we have to do. I'll do it. Right. Gideon's just like, why are we here? No one will tell me. <laughs> like, Right. But I mean, but Gideon also doesn't like spend weeks just sitting alone in the room either. Like she right. actively goes out and seeks other people. She gets and... bored. Yeah. Can only yeah. do so many push-ups. <laughs> yeah. Those, uh, those biceps only uh, only entertain you so long. <laughs> uh, what else other tropes? So I, I do. So there, of course, we're, we're getting into that jock and mean girl dynamic between Gideon and Harrow where, you know, Gideon is just a meathead. She works out. She reads comic books. She wants to join, essentially, the army. You know, she's she looks not, at dirty magazines. She loves those. Yeah, she's got dirty magazines. And Harrow is just vicious. Like, the way that they verbally spar, especially at the beginning, is so great because, you know, Gideon's throwing pretty much everything she's got at her, just being, like, super, super honest. Like, I fucking hate you. Go die. And Harrow is 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 that kind of mean where it's like so calculated and so like it's like it's like a knife thrust right it's like mm -hmm. she gets you right where she doesn't do anything extraneous she doesn't need to all she needs to say is oh i sometimes i forget you exist you know that kind of just like oh it hurts i love that uh there are other characters uh when i say nerds figure stuff out i'm not talking about our beloved ninth house uh so yeah, we're, we're talking about our sex pals in the uh sixth house yeah so <laughs> there are there are there are uh you know eight houses represented there are, are nine houses but the first is the emperor's house so there are no members except for the emperor um the second house is uh judith deuteros and marta diaz uh they're they they're I think they're probably the least fleshed out of like the secondary characters maybe I, w I would agree with that they just sort of got stuck in in they got put into army uniforms and it's like these are like the good little soldiers yeah they're they're very much like doing things by the book and when stuff goes wrong they want to like go back to like high command or like alert people you know they want to like it's not it's not correct so why continue mm -hmm. uh the third house is uh corona beth and her twin ianthe and their cavalier nabarius who they call babs and they're kind of like the central planet party rich they're the rich kids mm -hmm. like they're super you know quaffed and their fashion mm -hmm. is very um it's the kind of they wear the kind of clothing that only rich people wear it's like it's there's nothing about it that is workaday like yeah you know like how do you wash it how do you be in it how do you like run errands in it that's not what it's for yeah it, guilt is the uh and not not and not g-u-i but just g-i guilt like gilded is um the the word that always comes to mind when i think of like their house like if they if they if they wore the necromancy makeup it would be like all highlighter and just very like flashy and sheer and 
everything's sparkly metallic and golden. Yeah. I mean, I don't even know if that's how it was described, but that's just like the impression that it, it left in my mind. It's just like, you know, ethereal and sparkly and like it demands attention. Like, you know, when they walk into the room, like yeah, everybody like, looks at them. They're just like dressing for like red carpet events, like no, yeah. matter, like, no <laughs> matter what. Uh, I love Corona Beth. One, one of my favorite characters, just because she seems like, the, she she's one of those characters that I think the story could even be from her perspective and I think it would be almost just as interesting mm-hmm. because she's in that kind of dubious place where she is posing as a necromancer but she's really kind of a cavalier her twin is the necromancer but because her twin is has is less per, like her personality isn't as as forward and she isn't quite uh quite as upbeat or even mm-hmm. she's not quite as beautiful right she's not as yeah. charismatic she doesn't wear her hair as well so like corona beth is considered everyone considers her like the dominant twin when in fact she's not so i think yeah. that that kind of duality makes her very interesting yeah she's she's definitely on my short list of uh of characters from this book that i would love to cosplay so. oh yeah <laughs> because you could just I, go crazy i don't know if you if you listen to a lot of our cause of our of our episodes eventually you you'll hear me talk about being extra and it's just if it's i'm always drawn to characters who have that just enormous personality and just kind of don't give a shit like i'm just gonna you know i'm gonna walk into a room and make everybody look at me and i don't give a shit and yeah like, you know very corona bath yeah uh fourth house isaac and jean marie their little the little teens the terrible yeah. teens. I, it, it's I funny that that they were called the terrible teens because I mean, the like Gideon and Harrow are, are what like nineteen and eighteen or yeah. eighteen and seventeen. So these yeah. are like thirteen, fourteen. Like, but yeah. there is an awkwardness that happens at that age. To be fair, well, and it's just funny that Gideon refers to them as the terrible teens in her head when she is in fact still a teenager. But I guess. Gideon maybe has grown up a little bit more just because she's just not, no one's ever indulged her in anything ever. Right. <laughs> so she doesn't, she doesn't have that, that insecure personality. I'm not saying she's not insecure. Like everyone deals with insecurity uh, and confidence uh, in the story, but yeah, they're, they've just got that like, oh, that insecure teenage melodrama, like care what yeah. everyone else thinks way too much, but they're, yes. They're so endearing at the same time. I really like those characters. Yeah, the, like I don't know, they're just like little. They want to. They're like the emo kids that really want to be the emo kids, or like the goth kids, or something. But they're, but they're really good kids, and so they still kind of care what their parents think. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and just... like they come from this tradition of like military service, where they're like sent into military service when they're like fifteen. You know, like mm-hmm. like one of them, I think, deferred be- yeah. to in order to come and and do this uh mystery yeah which is just like oh all right that's cool uh and i just love to think of them with their their like eyeliner and they and the fact that they kind of they like they have their little fangirl and fanboy moments around gideon where they're like how big are how big are her muscles and like (laughs) they look so cool because you know only the ninth house wears the corpse paint which is just if you picture that like everyone like at the dinner party especially where everyone Mm -hmm. just is normal and then these two assholes show up in corpse paint (laughs) (laughs) i mean making an entrance come on (laughs) i mean when i was when we did the cosplay that's i was like oh i feel it this is what it's like (laughs) 
Yeah, because y'all were wandering around in like the, you know, full face. Uh... <laughs> oh, yeah. And then we went to a party, an after con party, and everyone was like, yeah, looking cute. And then we showed up. It was just like, <laughs> oh, I know exactly how Gideon feels all the time now. <laughs> uh, fifth house is Abigail Pent and Magnus Quinn. They're kind of like the parents. They have like mm-hmm. that big parent energy, but like they're doofuses, or at least Magnus is a doofus. <laughs> Likeable, but they're doofus. Uh, and then the sixth house are my favorite. My favorite house besides the ninth is uh, Camilla Hecht, the Cavalier. And I said Palamedes, but it is not Palamedes because I actually looked up pronunciation. It's Palamedes. So okay. it's Pal- Palamedes, which I'm, I don't I don't automatically say that. So forgive me if I say Palamedes, but it, uh, they're the basically the hardcore nerd librarian necromancers. <laughs> They're the uh, they're the Simons of, of the of the Firefly ship. Like they're that very like medical, clinical, mm. you know, kind of almost sterile investigative style. Right. And Palamides had been like it comes out that Palamides only got into the medical stuff really because he had been pen pals and then kind of hoping for more with Dulcinea. And so because she was ill, he became interested in that because yes. it interested her. Or maybe he could be the one or benefited to her. save her. Or, right. Yeah. So then the seventh house is Dulcinea and her Cavalier Pro. And Pro is pretty much a non-entity. So I yeah. have no idea what he's like, actually. Like, and, <laughs> like literally. Um, and literally. She, she's pretty fabulous. She Because, I don't know, she's a, that sort of charming, winsome kind of personality where she just sort of laughs at everything and makes people feel comfortable and like her. And yet she holds her cards really close. She's kind of a cipher. And so you never know exactly what she's about or what she's thinking, but she also seems very almost fragile and frivolous. Like, well, I just came here to die because it was going to be more interesting to die here then locked away on my own planet. But you planet. pretty much know from the beginning that she's up to something. Like, she's just too innocent. She's too yeah, helpless. She's, yeah. And and Gideon is too enamored of her. Like, <laughs> it makes me wonder what's the real Dulcinea like? Like, yeah. was she doing an impression of her or was she just being herself as Dulcinea? Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, because literally only one person there had any idea what Dulcinea's act, like personality might have been like. Right, calamities, but, but he had only ever communicated with her in letters. Yeah, I will say from being somebody who has a lot of pen pal based relationships over the years, you can tell a lot about someone's personality from letters, but there's still always that question: like, what are, what's their energy going to be like? Are they are they really going to be like? quick-witted or are they only funny when they have a chance to think about it for five hours you know right right and well i think it's it, it's noted that like you know um oh, what is what her actual name is Cly- uh, kitharea i looked up that spelling too or okay. pronunciation so yeah it's worth noting that kitharea is you know pretending to be Dulcinea and no one knows because no one's even seen her picture so it's like this the technology in this is interesting like you can be pen pals and you can have faster than light travel essentially but you all you can't send pictures back and forth like it's but, a, didn't, but wasn't there also a whole thing about how like the there's a certain look 
to the women of the seventh house and that Dulcinea was basically a throwback to uh, how, how do we say her name? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I thought there was a whole thing where she was, where, when she's kind of giving Harrow and Gideon her triumphs, triumphant speech about how you know i did it how did i do it all like she was making a thing like that's why no one knew because those there's such a a family resemblance between the two bodies right well because she ultimately came from the seventh house as well but it's just like well you know you're sickly you're thin you look like you could have a lot of cancers and you do so well i guess that's true i mean (laughs) I, i was taking i was taking her very literally simply because like my family house has, has oh, a yeah. look and like I'm like yeah I have some of my cousins who look like sisters and you know some of my mom's you know sisters look like my mother or sisters and right it's like but yeah I can in see the that end you know, have never seen a photo of her I mean he, he figured it out that it wasn't her based on her actions and the fact that she didn't talk to him about any of the things that they spoke of in their letters right but it's also like he he didn't he had to come to that conclusion he didn't look at her and think you're not dulcine like ah yeah that's true so it's just interesting to me like is that because i mean because it's not like she changed her form that was her at the end so i assume i don't know what the personality is but i guess they look uh, similar enough uh who's next oh the eighth house silas and uncle ash uncle you know column ashed uh i kind of love the eighth house i know that they are put up to be kind of like the red herring bad guys just because they're rude and (laughs) and and they're trying to take everybody's keys away and and like take authority and who the fuck are they to have authority we don't trust those fuckers well i mean the second house is also trying to interrupt it like the second house is also trying to stop everything but they're just they're ineffectual so they're not right like the house is the actual threat right But I don't know. I love that. I love the whole like the magic, like the necromancy that they do is so interesting. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the seventh house is about like preserving things, and the the third house or the fourth house blows stuff up, and you know, the third house they're um, I guess they're like they do like the wet stuff. <laughs> I, yeah. I think. Uh, and but, the fifth house was good with like spirit communication. Yeah. But the eighth house just like uses people like batteries. That is just bonkeronies. <laughs> like, and it's not just people as batteries. It's not just their thanergy and like that thalergy. It's like they're pushing spirits aside, and in that energy transfer, they're like they're drawing that, and it's and like an endless. It's like it's like the fission of like necromancy. Yeah, and they've actually had the, like they've basically bred their cavaliers to be super batteries. Right, yeah, like that. That's why they're like naughty. I mean, he. I think. I think Colum does assert himself as like a person at the end mm-hmm. of the story when he when he resists Silas, you know, telling him to attack Gideon. And I was like super into Colum up until that point. I was like, oh, he's just kind of like a drab, you know, like yeah. he's just he's just there. Yeah, like he has no like he seems like he has no personality. He certainly doesn't seem like he has particular prowess like he's good enough with the sword like he you know he's obviously has been trained but he's not like he's not like some sort of natural like talent with it like that because that's not what he's there for right i think that there a lot of the characters are like that where you know because there's many of them especially like introduced to you all at once right Mm -hmm. like you have suddenly there's like 17 people wandering around you're like who are these people right 
And so you tend to stereotype them or put them in like little boxes in your head just to be like, oh, that's mm-hmm. the seven cav or that's the seven necro, you know, and, and you get to know them over time. And it has in you, the book, the narrative actually challenges the assumptions that you're making about these characters. And it's not just Gideon's assumption. It's, it's mm-hmm. you as the reader, you know, exactly. like what is their function in the story? And I like that because I think that you could tell a story from any one of their perspectives and it would be interesting and they would be interesting. Where mm-hmm. at the beginning of the story, some of them are kind of like, they're not interesting. They're not interesting. And yet they really are. They all, they're all deeper. They're real people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really appreciated that kind of development with such a large cast. Yeah, I mean it was it was definitely it it was handled it was handled well and it it definitely serves the I guess the 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 tension of the mystery as well because you you don't know who to trust and you find yourself like wanting to trust certain characters and then being suspicious of them just kind of because you want to trust them. And, you know, it's, um, it it was, yeah. Like Palamides is like, I don't know. I don't know. He seems really cool. He's a nerd. Like, you know, he, he's like the science necromancer. Like he only Mm -hmm. believes what he can test. And he seems really trustworthy because he doesn't like, he doesn't seem to come into the situation with like making decisions or, you know, assumptions. Right. But then you realize, oh, he's got all this other stuff going on. And he seems to be like a rival with, you know, for Dulcinea's attention with Gideon and Gideon mm-hmm. sort of like is cool with that until she finds out that they've been like pen pals since he was eight. And then she feels like <laughs> the biggest asshole. <laughs> She's just, those were funny scenes. <laughs> yes. Like, oops, did I come in and throw shade with my corpse makeup? And uh, is that your girl? Like, and she's like, shit. oh, God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sexy and irresistible. I'm not a homewrecker. <laughs> I'm not a homewrecker. <laughs> oh, get in. <laughs> you homewrecking bitch. Uh, with, your, so, but- with your red hair and your gold eyes. <laughs> and your biceps. <laughs> So before we get into our favorite scenes and all of that, I do want to just think, uh, ask you, what house do you think you are? So I at first thought that I was the eighth house because if you go to the um, Tor blog, they have uh, many articles about about this book. But one of the best ones is like it's called like find your ninth, find your house, right? Your necromancy house. And it, there's these great little like graphics that tell you the strengths and weaknesses of each house. And I like went through and looked. And of course, like the cool house is obviously the ninth house because they were all black and they're like super cool bone magicians and they like <laughs> wear the cool corpse paint. And you know, you know, you want to be ninth house because it's just like their rocker. But mm-hmm. it's like, eh, I'm not that cool. So I'm like going through and I thought to myself, well, I could pos- probably be seventh house. I'm artistic. I like making things, but I'm not super into poetry. So I felt kind of like like I was gravitating towards the eighth house because some of their strengths and weaknesses felt like some of my own strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. So I was very like, like, oh, okay, I must be eighth house, which kind of sucks because they're kind of jerks. <laughs> <laughs> but then on Tamsin Muir's Tumblr, she had made like a very quick little quiz where there's like a series of objects and you can only pick five of the objects. And it's uh-huh. like, if you were stuck in a boat on the ocean with friends, uh, what, what five objects out of this group would you take? And then depending on what five objects you pick and like you add up all the different points, it'll tell you what house you are. So I did huh. it. And it turns out that I'm the fourth house. 
Uh-huh. I'm a terrible teen. <laughs> which also which feels that feels right as well. <laughs> yeah, I could I could definitely see that for you. Um you have that blow shit up energy for sure. Oh yeah, and I get to blow up corpses, which that sounds awesome. <laughs> um well I, I have not had a chance to take that quiz yet. Uh but I'm gonna stick with uh with my self classification of seventh house because I'm definitely into the the art and the beauty and the poetry and the um, sort of, I don't know, the the tension between uh, bloom and decay because you really can't have one without the other and there's just so much truth there. Mm-hmm. I still and would be surprised if you scored high on third house either. I could also see that. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, if uh, if you go to Tamsamir's Tumblr, you can you can do that. She also has a very helpful pronunciation guide, uh, which uh, it's very helpful, but also upsetting when you find out that you've been saying people's <laughs> names wrong. But you know, such is the way of of fantasy literature. Yes, it's, and, and there aren't even any helpful uh, apostrophes here. That's, that's <laughs> sarcasm. Thank you for the lack of random apostrophes, Tamson. <laughs> You're listening. All right, um, so. Let's go to some, before we get to like the big mystery questions, let's do some favorite scenes. Um, okay. I really like Harrow and Gideon's like first confrontation when Gideon's like, I'm getting on the shuttle. I'm leaving. You can't stop me. And then realizes that, you know, Harrow has already seeded the entire area. Yeah. Harrow's like, oh no, I was up all night planting bones. <laughs> You're dead. Right. It's like, I forgot you exist, but also I was up all night making sure you couldn't leave. Yeah. <laughs> that whole dichotomy is just so great. And of course, Gideon's all like immediately just like, I am fucked. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to, I'm trying to think which, um, cause I, I always like, like conversations and reveals and, and things like that. Um, I don't know. Some, some of the, one of the moments that, really stood out to me and like the whole sequence was actually the the first time Gideon lets Harrow sort of draw her energy to like protect herself through the um oh to to get the key yeah to get the key and Dulcinea is just like you know sitting there like stroking her hair and basically being like oh my god you're so young like you are so young and it's the first time I think as a reader you kind of step back and realize wait these are just kids yeah. and like it was you know it was really i don't know that was really powerful um that one hit me yeah i think there's a reason that tamsin kind of got rid of abigail and magnus early because they were like essentially like i know that some like i know that the second house was they were adults i mean technically everyone's an adult but the parent energy of the fifth house like that Mm -hmm. had to be gotten rid of yeah like in order for things to get as chaotic and like unplanned and just you know sad you yeah. had to get rid of that kind of authority for sure um because i mean even though some of them are like there's a, a couple characters that are older it's basically it's the you know abigail and magnus and then um uh cause uh, nephew column even though, like he's the older one even mm-hmm. though i think uh, babs is also like he's got he's probably like 30 i don't know was it? I I I guess I you know, he was so overshadowed by Corona Beth. I just I just had the impression that they were all like basically at most early twenties, 
you know, for like for the most part. So they all had that kind of restless, youthful, mm-hmm. like just kind of brash energy. And that can definitely the, the lack of the lack of adult restraint shows yeah that that kind of like no one's planning anything everyone's just kind of a free agent and a lot of people Mm -hmm. aren't a lot of people are reacting instead of planning yes yeah yeah uh i really like so i like the dinner party right where everyone where they come and like eat the terrible food and magnus is just he's like a he's like mr weasley (laughs) like (laughs) you know uh and everyone like they and they and the 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 teens ask gideon if they can like touch her bicep i just that's whole the whole oh i love the dinner party uh i love the uh the post-it notes that that harrow leaves everywhere (laughs) do your makeup do your makeup well do not make me think about your makeup do Do not not talk talk to anyone no one talk (laughs) to no one uh, I do like the construct in the lab scene. So that's the one before they do the this kind of spirit drain where she, mm-hmm. where Harrow's able to kind of like occupy the bones in Gideon's body and therefore see what Gideon sees in a way, like a transmitter. Mm-hmm. Uh, just because Gideon, when she finally sees the construct and like comes out and like is trying to tell Harrow what it is because Harrow's in a position where she can't see it. She's like, well, its arms look kind of like knives, so I think I should fight it. <laughs> it's like, it's got sword arms, and I got a sword, so that seems that seems like what I should be doing. <laughs> yeah, clearly, like, this is obvious. Come on, hero. It's obvious. It's obvious. <laughs> Let me hit it with a sword. Um, I, I think one of my one of my other favorites is the uh, initial sort of cavalier fights scene. Oh, yeah, where, where everyone's sizing each other up. <laughs> Yeah, and and Gideon, you know, disarms Magnus in basically three moves, and, and then, everybody's like, "Shit!" <laughs> <laughs> and then has to actually like fight Babs, and um, who is a very like he's sort of like the pinnacle of of cavalier swordsmanship, um, and but it's just it's so great when she just like knocks him down and like punch throws a punch at the end, and it's like I still won, motherfucker, I still won, and he's you. like. <laughs> technically i won because it was to the first touch and she's like but who's on the ground yeah but who's on the ground bitch (laughs) and then the crowd was like some of them were even like in support of her like well i mean maybe you won technically but she fought to win we like her yeah but it was also like that whole a lot of that was because they 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 had built her up as like a mythical ninth house cavalier because like the oh, ninth yeah. house doesn't associate with the other houses right they are they have their own separate cult they never leave you know mm-hmm. and and some of very... the others clearly like knew each other and had interacted yeah they 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 were yeah they had like seen each other before and yeah and they knew each other and like knew about their lives but they're this mysterious force so like she comes in and she's got their it's like you know the hero in the movie where like they're gonna be badass and like. It would crush you if they weren't badass, but then they are, and you're like, yes, but then in the very next fight, they suck. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of like what Gideon was doing. But, you know, she redeems herself by being like, but, you know, we know we know because we were there with her when she found out she had to act as the cavalier. She's not a fucking cavalier. She doesn't yeah. fight with a rapier. This is not how she fights. 
you know, she doesn't have an offhand. She, she's a, you know, she's a berserker. Like she has mm-hmm. a two-hander. She goes in there and she, you know, she just takes heads basically. And yeah, she's not a flitty, you know, it's, this isn't Princess Bride, you know? Right. <laughs> Although them fighting on the, on the tables is excellent. Uh, I also love when Camilla does the backflip on the stairs with her sword and Gideon's like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> like the hard <laughs> eyes where it's like, did you see what she just did? That's so cool. <laughs> yes. And then, uh, and, and, and it's a different scene, but the way she describes it when Camilla finally gets to like, like into a real fight where she's like off her leash is like, what did she say? Like Camilla Pent unchained was like, yeah. Uh, you know <laughs> it's like Gideon's like I'm like it's like I'm seeing God <laughs> yeah Camilla Camilla Hecht is cool as shit I'm super glad she didn't die yes uh yeah she's cool uh there's some other scenes that I really like that weren't like so much funny as they just were just really well written um when Gillen when Gideon and Palamides have their kind of heart to heart about Harrow uh I just thought that that was like one of those scenes that like I, I just read it. Like I could, there was nothing that could interrupt me. Nothing. Like I, I was in that scene. Um, and then also that, the kind of horrible tense scene when Gideon goes to, uh, goes to, to what is it? Silas mm-hmm. and, uh, and column and columns. Like I give you my word. It's fine. We're going to put your sword here. Let's talk. And then, she's kind of betrayed and columns like no i i only have two things i have my sword and i have my honor and silas is like well your sword also belongs to me i thought that was such a badass line <laughs> yes um gideon and harrow floating in the pool and having their heart to heart that's sort of like the climax of their like relationship arc i think was mm-hmm. that scene because you know we had a few little like you know tantalizing moments but up until that point where it was like Gideon was like oh my god I might actually like come to like admire Harrow or like mm-hmm. we're not you know we're not sniping we're we're working together that kind of thing um but just also you're also getting like the history right where you realize that they had both made very huge errors and assumptions about each other Mm-hmm. And that was what was fueling their their hatred for each other. But in reality, it's like they realize like we are the only two people who here that understand each other. Yeah. So that was a nice scene. Um, I also just kind of super loved the all the examinations of the bodies, like as the bodies piled up when people would like <laughs> gather around them and they would like poke them and look at them. I just kept thinking of like every procedural murder show I've ever Yes, every CSI. Seen. Yeah, like <laughs> CSI or Bones or like whatever. Just love it. You got to do that. You have to have the scene where everyone talks around the corpse. That's necessary. Mm-hmm. So let's get into some of this, some of these mysteries. Um, so one of the things that I want to talk about is this whole idea. One, I think we're both in agreement that this book has a very strong point of view. Mm-hmm personality style whatever like you know within the first five pages whether or not you're really gonna like like this novel yes <laughs> and i you know i i obviously love it and recommended it and i am super happy that so many outlets like npr and forbes and like more were basically writing 
gushing reviews about how great this book was because to me that means more people will buy it and read it and love it but there are certain there's there are people who don't like it and that's fine you know uh but i do want to talk about some of the themes of the people that weren't liking it um yeah and it, it to me kind of boils down to two things there's there's this kind of idea that your main character is unlikable uh and there's also this the the double-edged sword haha that the main character is unlikable and is an unlikable woman. Mm-hmm. So I personally don't think that Gideon qualifies as either an unlikable main character or an unlikable female character because I just don't think that she's unlikable. I think she's charming and I want to be her best friend or like possibly be her or, you know, like I certainly right. want to be friends with her. But I can see that she would rub people the wrong way. And I, I wonder, is that is that a gender thing like if Gideon was male would readers would some readers respond better to her being so snarky and so essentially immature and judgmental Mm. I don't do you have thoughts on that um off the cuff I would think that that it would not be remarked upon and I hate, I hate to say that, but there are a lot of, basically those behaviors are in line with the male, quote, anti-hero. And right. that's an archetype that is common and popular and people love those characters. And so I, I'm not sure whether this is more just like in your face about it or if it's, if it is because she's female like i don't know i mean is it like her language isn't any worse than like deadpool's and that's literally all he does yeah exactly she it is kind of deadpool-y i mean (laughs) not not to that extreme but yeah yeah um you know and so she certainly is a character who's not interested in presenting as like any standard of femininity you know, or something like that. Like there's no, I want to be nice to everyone or I'm going to think of other people first or any of those so-called female virtues or whatever. But it's, it's also for, for me as a reader, it's really hard to, to look at that and, and have it even register on me because I'm like, this is somebody who is essentially like abused her entire life. She wasn't properly socialized. She wasn't given any training in the social graces who the fuck is she supposed to be like Cinderella? That's, you know, okay. Maybe a certain percent of the, of the population is Cinderella, but a certain percent of percentage of the population isn't. And there's nothing wrong with that. The fact is she's a fighter and she's, she's self-protective. Like a lot of her snark is to deflect her own discomfort or her, Mm -hmm. you know, own emotional distress. And it's just, I don't know. I found her, really like strong and admirable and she i don't know i it didn't even occur to me that like to think in terms of like oh she's not like a good female character i'm like she's fucking badass and everybody loves her that's the other thing it's like take take yourself out of it and your judgments of you know what she would be in our society now away and look at how the people around her are responding to her 
you know, like the people that she meets find her intriguing. They find her charismatic. They find her kind in a way that maybe they don't expect, but they're like, wow, I can trust this person. They like so many characters yeah. express, I can trust you because she's real. Like she's authentic. And, and like that genuineness is obvious because she's not trying, <laughs> she's not trying to make anybody happy. She's not trying to, you know, be anybody's, um, like social smoother or anything like that. She just shows up right. with, as herself with all her rough edges, but yet there's a realness there that people respond to. Yeah. Cause like I read some of the, the less, you know, some of the reviews of people who didn't enjoy the book and just cause you know, I read everything and cause we're doing and maybe they have a legitimate, like, you know, complaint that we haven't thought of. Like that's right. That's but possible. I think for the most part, I was seeing things like she's immature. She's a jackass. Uh, you know, she sucks. She's a jerk. I don't like her. And I was like, you know, I feel I, I, to me, it just felt like if she had, if Gideon was a man, I think there's like, there are certain things about female characters, even if they're female fighter characters, like, yes, yeah, she was abused. And yeah, like a lot of her behavior is self-protective, but she also like thinks she's awesome. Mm-hmm. And a lot, you know, I think women aren't allowed to think they're awesome. You know, you have to like, be you have to be like oh i don't know am i ready and then you know everyone else tells you you're awesome whereas gideon mm-hmm. walks into a room and she's like I, i'm fucking awesome i'm not a homewrecker i'm sorry that i'm so sexy <laughs> but you know it's like i love that about her um mm-hmm. so yeah that's my just my little defense against some of the critiques i've seen of gideon because yeah gideon's awesome uh but she certainly that, is she certainly is a strong flavor but yes I personally, I think we need more of that rather than less. So, yeah. Uh, my next kind of theme that I found was like this, this whole idea of like identity building versus identity observation. So, you know, I think that the easiest, the easiest example of that in the book is the fact that the ninth house wears face paint, like literal face paint that mm-hmm. covers their faces and the pattern of the skull that they paint their face as means something. Right. Right. And they don't let themselves be seen without it. And they have to wear the black veils and the black, you know, and like they have to do that and they create this. It's like, you know, when you're young and you, you realize that punks aren't scary. Mm-hmm. They like, they look scary, but they're not scary. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like when I was like 10, it was like, Whoa, those people are like, super hard looking and then like you get to high school and you actually meet a punk in class and you're like oh everyone's just there everyone's just a person like i am mm-hmm. uh that's how i kind of like felt where it's like they have this super scary persona that they literally paint onto themselves mm-hmm. when in reality gideon is so squishy gideon just mm-hmm. wants to help everyone gideon wants to like pick up dulcinea's books because she's like can't bend over and get it for her you know like yeah and Harrow doesn't have a fucking clue how to socialize, even if like she, even if she, even if she wants to, she doesn't know how, because she's spent her whole life behind that kind of constructed role and, you know, that persona that she was expected to play, right? In you know, living in the ninth house, and, and- she's so controlling of Gideon too. It's like, don't talk to anyone. Wear your face paint. You reflect on me. I don't want anyone mm-hmm. to have any 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 kind of information on me through you. Like that right. kind of control keeps seeping out. 
Yeah, which I mean, when you actually understand Harrow, like the whole situation at home, you understand why Harrow is so paranoid because basically like her parents are dead and nobody knows it. And she's been faking them being alive for since she was 10 years old. Right. And in, basically in order to kind of hold the house together for long enough for herself to amass enough like life experience to actually like do something and, and it's just the religious leader of a cult where the whole, like, the first tenet is do not roll the stone away. And she went and rolled the stone away when she was 10. You know, it's like. Right. <laughs> what would people do? I mean, everyone. I mean, I guess she's afraid that everyone would do what her parents did if they found out. And then she'd have no house. Then the house would fail. Or, yeah. I don't and that, know. I mean, that's why Gideon's a threat because Gideon knows what she did. Yeah. Essentially. Like, she knows she went to the tomb. And then later she confesses to her, yeah, I've been in the tomb. I've seen the person in the tomb. I also think that well, we touched on this before, but the, there's like a lot of genre bending going on in the story that keeps it really fresh and fun mm -hmm. to read because you have like the science fiction elements, you have the horror elements, the gothic mystery elements, the super fantasy elements, and then combined with the contemporary kind of slang, rhythm, humor um, I found a quote from the Forbes article uh, where they interviewed uh, her and she said, I wanted a book that was absolutely saturated with horrible things, but leavened with a more flippant narrative style. And I think she definitely achieved that. Yeah. Yeah. There's, th there are definitely moments where you forget that what Harrow does is she takes bones of dead things and she makes like animated dead things that can fight out of them and then there are times when like you remember that like they're playing with bones and with dead things and it's kind of like i don't know it's a, it's an interesting balance between you just don't think about it and then it's super squicky right where it's like oh everything is like necromancy like the cooks are necromancy like <laughs> the skeletons <Yeah. laughs> are fishing you know like it's just I mean, I appreciate that level of detail where it's like, well, if you if you had a whole society based on necromancy, like how far would it go? And it's like it goes pretty far. And like what kinds of necromancy and are there different kinds and would people specialize in, in them and what could you do with them in, a, in, mm -hmm. in all these situations? Uh, so let's we talked about the locked tomb. Uh, who's in the locked tomb? Do you have any theories? Well, the the only thing that we're really told about why the tomb is locked is that the person inside the tomb would dis is, is the destruction of the emperor. That basically it would destroy the emperor to have to fight this person again. He could only win one time, which to me, like there's um, uh, there's a, a heavy element of like love in that. Mm -hmm. that, ba that basically, for some reason, this was a person who he loved maybe above all others, whether that's lover, whether that's sister, you know, best friend, um, hard to say, but like basically the most beloved person to him. And like, for whatever reason, he had to set them aside and like keep them locked away forever. And it would not, it's, it's, it's something he could not do again. Like that was the vibe I got from that sort of statement. Not that it necessarily took so much of his strength or power, but that that's a choice he could only make one time and could never make again. Yeah. It seems something epic, right? I mean, it has to be something tragic. Cause like, why not just kill this person? They might. Right. I agree with you. Uh, 
also what we know of lictorhood, the fact that the that the necromancer has to basically consume con- essentially consume the soul of their cavalier. Mm-hmm. And the fact that this whoever this person is is has a sword entombed mm-hmm. with her. Mm-hmm. Like I think, yeah, but is she is she the emperor's cavalier? Yeah, you know, like mean, from back before he was the emperor, before right. he figured out how to do all this stuff. And, uh, you know, then there's a question, like, is her soul still in that body or is the body sort of, you know, like waiting for her soul to come back or something like that? Well, she's see, I don't think she's dead, right? I mean, because yeah, the like whole the whole fact that they're like guarding the tomb and the fact that she's chained into the tomb, like she's yeah, not like dead. Very she's obviously, just in some like kind of stasis. Yeah, exactly. Very obviously not an actual corpse, but you know, is it like a thing where maybe like if if, if he kind of became a lictor too and like ate her soul, is it like, well, let's keep her body in suspended animation and we can give her her soul back someday maybe or you know something weird like that or is 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 everything in there just like waiting to wake up and like fight him because he's making terrible decisions about the war or right life or whatever well we know she's young and beautiful and that the moment that harrow looked at her she fell in love with her Mm -hmm. and Good thing Gideon's so hot. Just saying. <laughs> yeah, I know. I got like a little like when that when Harrow was like, "Oh yeah, and I'm in love with her," and then Gideon was like, "Wait, you have the hots for like an old, an old bony corpse?" Like what? I was like, "This is funny," but also, how dare you, Harrow? Gideon is right here. <laughs> right. Uh, what about Lichterhood? Do Do you think so? It seems like. The emperor brought all these people here so that he could replenish his lictors because he's like running out of them. They're dying or whatever. And we have no idea why. Like, what is this for? You know, we know that the whole, that we, that their whole society is basically based on this never ending war where they, yeah. they send all these soldiers and these necromancers <laughs> to all these planets and then, you know, start the necromantic energy and then take mm-hmm. over the planet. But I'm like, why? Like, who are they fighting and what for? Yeah. By the way, like total shades of forever war. With, yeah, like, totally. With, with, I'm, with I'm that glad setup. that we've read like, that. It's just this, you know, war at the edge of nowhere. And like, what, what's it about? We don't know. We don't understand. Who are we fighting? What, you know, what kind of technology is there? It's just like, it's just been there forever. And like, in this case, it's like, what, 10,000 years the emperor has been fighting this war. Yeah, 10,000 yeah. years and like, Gideon reads comic books about it, but like not even the comic books seem to center on like who they're fighting. It's more about like the glory of fighting. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. is that why they fight with swords? Like, do they not have guns? Do guns not work against what they're fighting? Mean, I have no clue. And that brings me to like this idea, like, okay, if the, if the emperor is bringing them all there so that he can like replenish his lictors and he wants them to go through all these different theorems and like figure out the secret to being a lictor without being told, because apparently being able to figure it out proves that you have the ability or the mental capacity or, you know, like mm-hmm. the, it's not just the, it's not just under, it's, it's that true understanding right, through discovery, yeah. but it seems like some of his lictors then didn't understand what they were doing when they became them. 
and he he was trying to give these people a choice in the matter which i think is hilarious because it's like well you're not telling them what they're doing yeah like it it it, it was very far removed from how actual like human egos and identities and personalities work it's like how long have you been alone how long have you been surrounded by people that you know you almost don't even attach to anymore because their lives are so quick compared to your own and you just don't understand how like the rest of us still work totally like that you would just you know set it up that way and not even offer a hint that hey maybe collaboration is preferable to fighting right but also like that ultimately you have to kill this partner yeah in some cases your spouse certainly Mm -hmm. someone who qualifies as a best friend or Mm -hmm. like true intimate yeah and i wonder if I wonder who would have actually been willing to do it had it all, like, had they all had equal chance and equal knowledge and they all made it to the end. Mm -hmm. And then, like, kind of made the choice and, like, how many of the Cavaliers would have volunteered for that? And then how many of of, of the ones who did volunteer, how many of the necromancers would have taken him up? And then of the ones who who didn't, would any of them have taken it anyway? Right. Well, because we know that, like, Silas was like, no, this is an abomination. I'm not doing it. Yeah. Which is interesting because his his house seemed like the most primed. Like, likely to because of the way they, you know, set themselves up already to sort of use their cavaliers, you know, with the magical energy. Right. Uh, uh, and then we know that uh, uh, Calamities was like, no, no, I'd ne- he'd never hurt Camilla. Mm-hmm. He would never do that. Which that whole like line where he turns himself into a uh, a necrobomb and tries to kill the lictor and then gideon goes back to camilla and and camilla's like well what did he say and she was like oh he said to tell you that he loved you and camilla just like stares at her like that's not not what that's not what happened and she's like no you're right he said you would know what to do (laughs) it's just like gideon's like i'm trying to create a thing here because i know you guys care about each other And Camilla's like, no, no, there was a fucking message and I need the message. Come on. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Don't lie. Yeah. That's not our relationship. Uh, but yeah, I love, I love that kind of like idea that it doesn't matter how good or how smart or how like, like you could be the best, which, you know, Palamides was obviously like the best, mm-hmm. but he was not going to do that yeah, because it was just have... like, that was a crime he couldn't commit. Yeah. He didn't have the temperament for it. Um. Yeah, and I mean of the of the ones who were left, I think um, the I think the the bond between the the terrible teens was like I think that was too close. I don't think they would have done it. I don't think they could have handled that kind of guilt. yeah, no way. And um, I think well, obviously we saw that Ianthe was willing to do that, and she did do that probably without asking Bab's permission. So that answers that question. Yeah, Ianthe is stone cold. Yeah. She sucks. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, we think Harrow's the sort of sociopath. No, no. Like, she's just awkward. Like, Ianthe's the actual sociopath. Yeah. I mean, I would say, like, I know that Harrow, like, I know that Gideon s- t- tells Palamides, like, Harrow will kill anyone she needs to kill in order to become a lictor. <laughs> and who would know Harrow better than Gideon? Right. So, like, I believe Gideon's read, but I'm also kind of like, I don't know. Harrow? 
Hera was doing some growing there, especially at the end as she was like becoming more emotionally available to Gideon. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if she could have because she says, you know, I can't at the end. She's like, I can't imagine a universe without you in it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, she is certainly like at the end does not want Gideon to uh, to do what she does. Right. So. Yeah, um, Gideon definitely forces it on her. And now and now, of course, I guess Harrow's going to have to like continue on by making that sacrifice well that's it's interesting so let's let's finish up this lictor thing so i did find that uh because i was going through tamsin's tumblr obviously and somebody did ask her this question like okay like all all, you know plot aside who who would have done it Mm. and she said that the only person that would have done it was ianthe so you know i think we read that well um so, so we know that in order to become a lictor, you have to consume your, your cavalier in order to have that, like, endless battery, right? Yeah. So at the end, we have that, like, amazing scene where Gideon's spirit is essentially, like, holding the sword and, like, guiding, guiding Harrow. But then she kind of fades away. Mm-hmm theories thoughts like what's going on my my theory is that gideon is not absorbed into harrow and that harrow isn't like fully elixir or i don't know maybe that process opens up like a a a power uh channel but like i i think that what happens is that harrow not harrow uh gideon is revived and put back into her own body, probably by Camilla, because it's made, I mean, it's made it very obvious that we didn't find your Cavalier's body. And also Camilla Hecht was missing. And so were, so was Corona Beth. And so was, you know, several other like incidental characters. But at the end, the people who were there at the fight, it was Camilla and it was Gideon. And I think um, my, I actually have another theory, which is that Palamides, um, last words to Camilla, you know what to do. I'm wondering if he had given her some sort of instruction on how to like call his spirit into herself. So I don't know. She like, Ooh, like a backwards sort of, lictor. What's like, like a, a back, yeah. Uh, and, and if that's the case, then she would have absolutely had the necromantic knowledge to call Gideon's, you know, spirit back to her body. I love this the theory only because I also it. don't want Plamides to be dead for real. Right, that too, because he was fucking awesome. And yeah, and I also and, subscribe to like the Dune rule, where it's like if you don't see the body, they're not dead, and there were no bodies at the end. Yeah, so. yeah, um, exactly. So I don't know. Can't wait I like to, uh... the, I like that idea, especially because it's like, well, what happens? Like, what are the rules of Lictorhood? Like, one, can it go the other way around? Can a necromancer spirit be absorbed by, like, can a necromancer be put, like, push themselves into the into the cavalier? Does it ha- or does, can it only go one way? Right. And two, what happens if like you're a standard Lictor, you've eaten your your cavalier? What happens if you eat another one? Mm. Mm-hmm. Is it possible? Can you do it? What powers does it give you? Like, yeah. Or does it, is there like a mental deterioration with like every soul that you consume or something like that, where you become like less and less capable of holding your own perspective because you have too many like other perspectives in your mind. Mm. St. Alia of the knife, anyone? Mm. Do you have 
we you didn't read Children of Dune, but I encourage you to keep reading the Dune series. Uh, <laughs> so speaking, so we we talked about how like we don't really know. There's a lot of things left unanswered at the end, and you know it's obviously the first book in a trilogy, so it's really just a lot of setup. So we we don't know who's in the locked tomb. We don't really know all the rules about being a lictor. But I think also more importantly, we still don't really know who Gideon is. Right, because there's there are definite mysteries around her identity. She was her mother was uh, a stranger to the ninth who crash landed her ship onto that planet when Gideon was like days old. Yeah. And they don't even know if Gideon was meant to be the child's name. It was simply the one thing her mother screamed or said to anybody. For the and it was like is, her mother's spirit, right? It wasn't it was um, like post-death. Possi- possibly. I, th- I can't I, remember that part. Yeah. Like, I, 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 it might have been like her last, like her, her dying words were simply Gideon, Gideon, Gideon. But maybe it was her spirit sort of fading, you know, words. E- either way, that was the only information they were given from the mother so they just called the child Gideon but she's uh but but Gideon finds a note in one of the labs that they open up so this is a lab from 10,000 years ago and it was talking about someone named Gideon and some threat and it's very like it's just enough to be tantalizing and so she keeps the note but you don't really get any answers mm-hmm. and then the lictor who was pretending to be Dulcinea makes a direct comment to Gideon um, about who you are to me. And it's, it's unsaid. It's like, it's like, basically she's like, yeah, I'm taunting you with the fact that I know something about you and I'm not telling. Right. And then they kill her before anything can come out of it. Right. Like you'll die without knowing who you are to me. Well, what the fuck does that mean? So we also know that like Gideon didn't die when all the other kids died. You know, she was exposed mm-hmm. to, like, 10 minutes of the poison, right? It blinded the ants, the old nu- ant nuns. To, to administer it. Yeah. yeah. And she didn't. She breathed it for 10 minutes. All the other babies in the nursery died, and she was, like, just fine. Yeah. And also, her eyes are really weird. Like, I think they mm-hmm. talk about, I think it might be, it might be Silas who talks about how her, her genome is, is interesting, like a throwback. Yeah. Um. You know, specifically about her eye color and how that's, like, super recessive and, like, not not very common. Yep, so and- that, to me, means that, like, is she, is she essentially a time traveler? Like, was mm-hmm. her mother in stasis or does she just come from very far away, which is, you know, with relativity, re- relativity the same as time travel. Like, right. Yeah. Is she engineered? We know that they engineer people, right? We have column. He admits mm-hmm. to being genetically engineered. And also a lot, they, they talk about how like the other families like guarantee that they get necromancers like Dulcinea. Well, I mean, it's Kytheria, but she's talking about like, oh, well, you know, they, they breed us to make us like the perfect necromancers. So it's like, mm-hmm. was Gideon bred to be a perfect calf? Uh, I mean, I, or, or something like mm-hmm. something that made her genetically superior and like unkillable in that moment. Yeah. Um, it's, I mean, I, I definitely support the idea of Gideon somehow being like, wh- whether literally or simply genetically from another time, like from right. the older time. Um, 
because it's just there's there's too many clues that are dropped that she's not just some orphan like she's not so no i i mean like she might be an orphan but she's not just some orphan (laughs) yeah she's not some random orphan from you know any old street on no she's a very specific specific orphan (laughs) (laughs) uh all right uh well i i get to read harrow the ninth and so i will find out before you do but i won't i'll try not to gloat or spoil you i'll try not to hate you Okay, we'll, be, we'll bask in the glow of, uh, of cosplaying uh, this book. Instead. Yes, yes. Uh, so let's do our traditional end piece. Yes. Uh, is it fashion? Definitely fashion going on. I um, think so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, aside from the very, like, we already kind of talked about how queer, like, you know, Harrow is and her, you know, perspective of, like, there's an impact to what we wear and how we present. Um all of the houses have their own little styles going on and you can, you can differentiate them, but it's, it's not just like the, the dwarves and the Hobbit where one of them has a purple cloak and one of them has a green cloak. Like it's, <laughs> it's definitely like they have a fashion aesthetic and you kind of get a sense of the personality of either the individual or the house, you know, based on that. Yeah. There's something um, like super anime about just like the look and feel of it to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so definitely, definitely um, coming down on on it being fashion. Um, yeah, then, I agree. Uh, murder, Mary, fuck. Yeah. So um, my murder, I'm I'm gonna murder Silas and then regret it when the truth comes out. But he really like pissed me off. Um, <laughs> I <laughs> uh, I think. I am going to fuck Corona Beth because she's just glorious and Solid. why wouldn't you? And I'm probably going to marry Palamides because um, oh, he's God. he's just I mean he's marriage material. Let's face it. Yeah, totes. He's solid. He's sweet. He's not going to disrespect his partner like at all. That's an ethical violation. Of course, I would never hurt her. What are you like? What's not to love? <laughs> all right, marry murder fuck. I'm going to marry Camilla Hecht. Oh, we can be besties. <laughs> Yes. I don't know. Camilla just, she's got the, she's doing, she's got the double wield. Like, I don't know. That, that seems real cool. Uh, I think I'm going to agree with Harrow and murder Dulcine slash Kytheria and Kytherea, I should say. Uh, And who will I fuck? Gideon. (laughs) <laughs> solid choices all of them for sure <laughs> um and last question is uh are there worms i'm gonna say no like no, all... it didn't seem like there were worms no lots of weird bony constructs but like all the constructs had bones and that is very definitely not worm i mean you could make a construct you could do like a bone worm yeah i guess but like isn't one of like the you know de- defining features of worms that they lack any kind of skeletal component. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Our philosophical discussion of what makes a worm. What makes a worm? <laughs> I mean like you could make like a big bony dragon and then we could call it a worm with a y. Yeah, I'll I'll give you that. But no one actually made that construct or if it 
if that was what they were supposed to look like, that did not come across to me. So, Okay. Uh, so before I ask you what we're reading next, I do want to end with a couple of my favorite quotes because this book is so quotable. Like I think you could open it to any page. Um, I have Harrow. If my heart had a dick, you would kick it. <laughs> uh, painted like living skulls, looking like douchebags. Uh, Her lips were puckered like a cat's butthole. <laughs> that was pretty good. That's pretty good. And, of course, the best one. One flesh, one end. Bitch. (laughs) (laughs) So good. So perfect. One flesh, one end. Bitch. (laughs) Boom. Mic drop. so Gideon to just, like, ruin it. (laughs) All right. What are we reading next? All right. So I I thought and thought about what to make you read in response to this because this is just such a rare book. It's so, like... It has such a, a strong tone of like tone and perspective and so it's so funny and so fun and just so off the wall bonkers and there's sword fighting and there's this and there's that. And I was it finally hit me, the, the Lies of Locke Lamora, which cool. is uh a book that when I read it, it was unlike anything I had read. Uh we can talk about whether that's still true in the fantasy fantasy genre or not. But when it came out it was just completely different from any sort of epic fantasy I'd ever read in tone and style. It's a lot of fun. It's definitely got some of the same tropes of like childhood friends who are, you know, kind of still best friends and banded together against the world. There's epic sword fighting. It's It takes place in a city that's ambiguous as to whether it's a, a science fiction or fantasy because there's these old structures that seem very alien and no one really knows why they do the things they do but like that's where their society has been so they just kind of accept it and maybe it was its future or maybe it's past or fantasy we don't know and it's just fabulous so that's what we're gonna read that sounds awesome I hope you love it because yeah, it's I've long. never I've it, never read it, so it, it's long, and so if you don't love it, it's going to be like a lot of pain for you. <laughs> <laughs> it's but okay. I, I really love it, and I'm super excited to read it again because I actually haven't read it in a while. So, all right, uh, well then, I look forward to reading that. I'm so glad that you liked Gideon the Ninth because yes. I know I hyped it for a very long time. Yes, but it it, it surpassed like your hype. Oh, I mean, it's. Yeah, I really, I really didn't know what to think. I was like, okay, this is going to be bonkers, so I'll be entertained. But yes. like, am I going to emotionally appreciate it? But I, I loved this book. I'm yeah, so glad you made me read it. It's bonkers and the best way. Yes. <laughs> yes. Great. Okay. Well, I will. Uh, happy reading, and I'll, I'll talk to you next time. All right. Bye. Bye. Bye.